McGarry, podcast host of First Online with Friends, There's No Place Like Art, celebrating a hallmark achievement of 10,000 downloads. <laughs> Thanks to all of you listeners who tuned in with a special shout out to Sarah Messley, CEO of Podcast Inc. Well, ladies, it's election season. You're probably reading a ton of stories about politician X appealing to voting block Y with Z-ish rhetoric, journalists, political strategists, and even politicians themselves deliver much of this information in a kind of code, terms and phrases now that show up only in coverage of politics. I just read an article in, in, from the Washington Post. It was uh, September 19, 2022. And it was an opinion column by Perry Bacon Jr. And what he did was he provided a guide to the quote unquote election speak and a plea to move on from it. You know, th these culture wars are usually invoked in reference to gender. LGBTQ and racial issues and those who advocate for them. So Black politicians condemning police brutality are described as practicing identity politics, but white ones who strongly defend the police are not. The bias in the use of these terms isn't the only problem with them. They're vague, their meanings are not universally shared. They even obscure more than they explain, and perhaps intentionally. Now, to clarify some of these obscure election speak issues is today's guest. I'm so excited. Romy Nordlinger. She's an actor, a playwright, an audiobook narrator who believes that theater and the arts are vital in helping us learn about one another while cultivating social awareness and empathy. Her acclaimed one-woman multimedia play, Garden of Allah, is based on the life and times of Allah Nazimova. She was an actress, writer, director, and filmmaker who dared to be different and break all the rules. <laughs> Talking about breaking rules. Welcome, Romy. Well, thank you. Gosh, that was quite an introduction. But <laughs> from such a wonderful woman as you, thank you for having me. You betcha. You know, homophobia, sexism, racism, anti-Semitism, ageism. Nazimova was fighting these contemporary struggles all the way back in the 19th and early 20th century, but alone and without a Twitter account. I made raising, that up. <laughs> <laughs> raising her voice and loving America as only an immigrant can. How do these issues resonate for us as we approach midterm elections? And how can a voice from history speak to serve us today? I think it's, there's great questions and so many. I'm just going to endeavor to look at one part of it right now, which is why do some stories get carried on? Why do we know some stories and why are others omitted? 
And we are the stories we tell, not only through theater, obviously, but as an individual, as each person, our human, our identities are our stories. What else do we have? And everybody has a story. So why do we know about, okay, founding fathers or some of the great founding people of uh, men of silent film, of theater, of Broadway, and we could go on and on. The cast is thousands, but we don't know about so many of the women. So I think it's the omittance that I'm very interested in. Why have we been censored? So everything is through the lens of what we throw a spotlight upon. And uh, the story of Alana Zimova, when I first heard about it through Mary Lynn Henry, wow, she's a dynamo and knowing in everything about uh, theater history. Definitely but I, shout out to Marilyn. Shout out and the Society <laughs> for the Preservation of Theatrical History. Uh, but I read Nazimova's journals and not only as a human being did she resonate with me because of her tenacity, her rising over adversity, her universal story of the underdog, which I feel like so many of us can identify with. And that is male, female, LGBTQ, they, Jewish, non-Jewish, white, African-American, we could go down the line. I think there's so many of us that identify with the underdog. And the kind of magnitude of her celebrity was unheard of, still is unheard of. She was probably more famous than Madonna, lines around the block to see her, and then started her own film company in a time when that was unheard of for a woman to do. It still is quite daring and underfunded and not recognized. A shout out to people like Reese Witherspoon and uh, many others. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Actually, a film I was in just got screened at her Bentonville Film Festival. Yay for Good Egg by Nicole Gomez Fisher Vano. She has a lot of names. Sorry, Nicole, if I got that wrong. I was very excited for her being presented. But uh, Nazimova was also host to one of the greatest never ending parties of the 20th century, the Garden of Allah. 8080 Sunset Boulevard, the end of the line where it all began. And she was bisexual, largely at the end of her life for the last 20 20 years of her life, she was dedicated to one partner, Gleska Marshall. She, by all means and purposes, was gay, but uh, had a lavender marriage. And her place was a place of, her Garden of Allah was a place to the greatest literati and glitterati of the 20th century. It was easier to say who didn't check in than who did. So not only was she raising the bar, the term the sewing circle, which is a code for an all women's lesbian gathering, was coined by the parties of the Garden of Allah. So not only was she so famous in theater that Tennessee Williams said, when I first saw her perform, it was then that I knew I must become a playwright. Noel Coward said she can read the damn telephone book if she liked. I mean, this kind of thing. Eugene O'Neill was inspired to become a playwright by her. We don't know her name. We don't. Sorry, it makes me. This is why I am driven to tell her story. And people that see it we haven't even gone into the film aspect of it. The first art film she created with Salome defying the studios, the first art film. And just out of curiosity. Yeah, sorry. I'm, uh, what, no, just, no, no, no. How old was she? 
when she died or during this time? No, when she started. Uh, well, she came over to the States from Russia. She was one of Stanislavski's students. So she was one of the first, oh, do I have this word correct, progenitors of Stanislavski? And forgive me if that's not correct. And she fled the czars. She saved her life fleeing pogroms. She was Jewish. Um, not unlike the kind of persecution that is going on today, she fled Crimea. And so she was probably about 19 or 20 when she started wow. in the Lower East Side. The Lower East Side. Actually, the back of La Mama, which I keep trying to get them. There's somebody, Lawrence Frommer, who's trying to get a plaque put up there. And I'm trying to do, do the show there. Because the back of that building was where she and Orlenev, who brought her over, began their first, had, had some of their first performances in Yiddish. She became a superstar in Yiddish. The Schuberts picked her up, named a Broadway theater after her. We walk by it on uh, 39th Street. It's near the New York Times building. And it's an Irish pub in a parking lot. Nothing wrong with Irish pubs. I'm all for them. Give me some Jamesons. But we don't know the magnitude of this woman. I mean, it was insane, her fame. So... That's my raison d'etre, one of them to bring her story back. And going back to why telling people stories and how people identify, I've seen old people, young people, uh, gay, straight, bi, they identify with a story and say, why are we not hearing this? And be inspired to tell their own stories. What is this quote? We are standing on the shoulders of giants, giants. And she was one of those giants. And they only imbue us with more of a, a feeling of empowerment that if she could do that alone, and as you said, without a Twitter account, we can do that too. If we give ourselves a megaphone and it, it empowers us to tell our own stories. If she were here, she would probably be a poll worker, getting mm -hmm. women you know, I, to yeah, vote, I get right? To what would she say? about Roe v. Wade, about the anti-immigrant or the recent shuttle of immigrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard. What would she say? She loved America, believed in its freedom, although she wasn't able to be outwardly Right. Quote, quote, gay. She took on the, the studio system and everybody really knew until they erased her because she was a woman that was too powerful. But I still think, even though she knew that she was battling a lot of things that were unspoken and that she had to work through in code in a way, she'd be shocked and outraged. And I think we all feel a little heart sick, but I hopefully the heart sickness will translate into this anger, which is okay. Anger channeled the proper way. I don't know if the word proper is something I like to use, but humane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anger that's not channeled into yourself can be very empowering. And I think all of us should be a little angry. And I think that fire would imbue her to speak about it publicly. She And for all of us, and hopefully it is, it is uh, empowering more women to vote and to turn over this election like we're seeing and to keep going in that direction. I do think, I wonder though about the social media aspect of things. I wrote a line in the play because I imagined her dealing with Twitter and it's my line, which is <laughs> how many care about Twitter? How many characters are you allowed 
to parse out the essence of a soul. Because I feel as if there's something, although we spout a lot of things out on Twitter, nothing wrong with it. It's great for getting the message out. I'm a, I'm a wordy lady, as if you as if you can ta- can't tell by now. And so is this very emotional. <laughs> I feel like there's something missing with the human connection and with really being able to relay ourselves in a way that isn't pithy and aren't sound bites. And uh, language, language uh, goes back to good theater, which explores language. I think Mazimovo would be interested in speaking in a way that told more than just a sound bite. I guess and. There's also that safe barrier. You can say something, you know, in so many characters and not have any consequences for it other than applies to that. And going back to how you started talking about this whole subject was that we have to look at our history. We have to learn from our history. We have to learn from these women like Nazimova. Thank you for not correcting me. I mispronounced her That's name. That's okay. It's Nazimova, and everybody does. In fact, I'm going to do a video one day on all of the different pronunciations. And we don't know her name, so why should we know how, it's how to pronounce it? Yeah. Thank you. We need to learn from our historical figures. We need to bring them back. I don't know if you've watched it. I'm hooked on the Ken Burns. Uh, oh, God. I, I uh, just uh, can't wait to start. And you have to watch it in pieces. I'm talking about the, um, the USA. And the Holocaust, which is such an interest back. Oh, my and it God. just it's freaking and- me out because, you know, they showed how Hitler came to power and how subtle and how subtly he came into power. And you see what's happening with us today with having immigrants shipped out to other places in the United States and and feel justified in doing that. It's just what happened to being human beings? And we really, really need to shout out to people, wake up. We can lose our democracy. Very, very easily. It's terrifying. And, and of course, we're seeing things all over the world. Forgive me if I mispronounce or not remember. Victor Oban in, in Hungary, the person just elected in Sweden who was had some kind of Nazi ties, Marine Le Pen, who is anchoring herself onto that and saying, see, see, I'm right. And I was not raised religious, but my blood is all Jewish. So I understand the Holocaust meaning we all do. But uh, there was somebody that once said, it was a famous playwright, actually, he once said about that, well, you may not know you're Jewish, but Hitler would know. (laughs) And I know older, as I get older, I've embraced it more and more because that is my heritage. But we all have a responsibility. And during times when finances get tough, this yeah. is when the fascists take over. My mother used to always say that. And I'm watching it. By the way, my mother used to also say the pendulum always swings. And I'm bringing her up, Zelda Nordlinger, because I'm writing a play now dealing with choice. And my mother was one of the founding members of the National Organization for Women in Richmond, Virginia, in the in the 70s, and advocated tirelessly for rights that women don't even recognize that they have, one of them being Roe v. Wade. And that was the prized moment in her life when Roe v. Wade was recognized. 
And this girl here that you're talking to, I was part of that movement. Okay. I burned a, a, the bra. A I was in, I was in DC. Wow. When I was in college. Oh yeah. Oh that, wow. That. I didn't know that why about I'm you, just, I'm so frustrated. Wow. Like yeah. I fought for this. We did this for you. Mm-hmm. I'd love to meet your mom, by the way. She's and, no longer alive. But one of the things she said uh, shortly before she died, and, and I remember it so succinctly was um, because I wanted to get together uh, some of the the women, uh, some of the people, so she had inspired so many feminists and people. Mom, don't you want them to know that you won't be around? And I don't say that glibly. It wasn't easy. But she said, you know, I don't need that. I said, what do you think of women that these young women that don't even know what they what they are, what they have now? And she said, that's OK. They have the rights. That's the important thing. They have a choice. Now, what she would say about our choices being taken away, I don't have the words. I, I'm trying to express them in a play, and it's not strident. It's a different look at different perspectives, the, uh, pervasive and some not so pervasive, some undertones of choice. And the play has been informed by what is going on, obviously, with choice in America. And this is why, you know, we're both creatives. We're both artists. And we're preaching the choir to each other because we know how the arts are a supernatural gift and it is inherent in every single human being. And it's our job to remind people of that gift. True. And and the thing about theater and or fiction or books that are fictional, it's a main line to the emotional the emotionality. I've always believed, and as a teaching artist, and I also, we, we share that, being teaching artists. And of course, you, gosh, you, you've been involved in teaching in the arts in a much more high profile way than myself. But I've worked, I've watched learning through the arts uh, being one of the most transformative vehicles in which to really get to a person's soul and to realize they're not alone in their feelings. And that is by exchange sharing and exchanging so that is what theater does you know what i'm so glad yeah that you brought up the teaching artist because you are a teaching artist and one of the things that you did was that you used the hot seating drama strategy wherein you are in front of a classroom and you take on the persona of your character and take questions from the audience. Isn't that well, interesting? I actually do like. that as talkbacks with the Nazimova play. Uh, and that was at Here Theater, we did a lot of that hosted by Pat Addis. She brought in some great interviewers and, and I did as well. Some of them Broadway historians, some of them writers in magazines about Broadway, but some very interesting people. That aspect of things is a main line to not only opening your imagination, but opening your heart and giving a window and a palpable lens and feeling and tie between audience, breaking that wall between audience and performer. So everyone, and everyone in theater, you look, everybody goes to theater for different reasons. And I, and now I'm, I don't want to sound grandiose because it is okay to just be entertained. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Some people are just interested in that. And that is okay. For me, it's always been a little bit like, I got to say this thing. I got to say it. And I got to ask questions and whether or not they land the right way is not my concern. But everybody creates for a different reason. So I've gone around in a circle there. By breaking um, that fourth wall, you know, that safe fourth wall in the theater and inviting yes. people to ask the character questions, you know, what are some of the questions that were asked of you and, and how did you respond? Because this was all improvised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, like the first one you just, you just asked is the main question. What would you think of is, that is going on today? That, that is the famous let's, question. Let's play it. Okay. Take her on. Oh boy. Okay. okay. Let's try it. All let's right. play this half. Come no. on. So Th- this is, yes, great. Th- that is good. What would you say about what is happening in the here and now in 2022 as the midterm elections are approaching? What would you say to the voters out there of the United States? I do believe that we have power. It is within our, if we believe something, we can make this happen. It is, it's not an accident when something happens. It is our will. And our will is something that we pass on. We reach people by being ourselves. If you can dare to be yourself when everyone is asking you to not be. One thing that that does is shows people that they too can be themselves and feel free to be themselves, even within a uncomfortable, uh, maybe not easy situation. I know that I speak to my family uh, that has been left, that I left, I had to leave they hope for their freedom back in in Russia, but it is being taken away. They are living in fear for their lives. And here in America, we are feeling the same thing. We are living in fear that our rights will be taken away. So it is not time to stop and be quiet. It is time to go out, to write, to speak, and to be ourselves most of all. Oh, I have not spoken. And by the way, Nazimova didn't, when she first came to America, she spoke in more of a Russian accent. And then she developed a kind of a hybrid accent. So anyway, by the way, she's mostly silent movies. Very hard to tell how she would speak. But uh, there is one movie uh, in which she speaks, uh, a few, but one is um, Since You Were Here with Robert Mitchum. If I get that wrong, then please forgive me, Martin Turnbull from the Alanism of a Society. Okay, right. Wow. <laughs> you said that, Nazimova said, an artist is only dead when the last person to remember them does. How does uh, that- Dies. Speak? Right, right. How does that make you want to continue- to do what you're doing? That's a really good question. What's the word for when you find your, somebody that that saw the play said, you know, she's your, it's not my doppelganger, but she's like your Uber. She's like your, it's like an extension of yourself, which is why I tell her story because 
I believe through the lens of the arts, for me, some people can get on a stand and I marvel at them, the people that can speak politically and blah, blah. That's great. I'm saying blah, blah as if I'm diminishing it. But I always go to the, the lens of the emotionality and telling a story through, through the emotional lens, which is the royal road to me of my connection to something and how I can reach people. So I would go back to when the last person to remember you dies, it's going back to the story. It's going back emotional life of the person and why their story is worth telling. Uh, I wish, or actually don't, we all have our different talents. Mine is not in politics, but certainly we have everything to gain by stories being told that we need to hear now and now more than ever. Oh, Romy. We're going to close with that. That was so beautiful. Cool. Um, cool. Thank huh. you for sharing your thank <laughs> you for sharing your story with us and that we got thank this chance. You. To talk what with a each great other. coffee talk. That was a yeah. great coffee talk. I this loved it. That was awesome. Talking. <laughs> and to those of you who are not from New York, come on well, down. And New watch. York is my is my adopted home, and it's where I feel more comfortable than anywhere in the world. But I'm from <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. But uh, uh, New York is my is my. Well, heart. we can we can both relate to that. Absolutely, I'm a Long Island girl. As Long you know. Island, <laughs> yeah, beautiful place, beautiful. Yeah. Place. But thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much and for having me. Is this great? I love your podcast. I hope there are more and more subscribers from your. What, 10,000, did you say? 10,000. Good, good. Yeah, right. and I'm doing up. See I'm what an impact up. you're making? See what an impact? <laughs> That's it, right there. Nazimova, I would say, and so do I. A woman, you go. You betcha. Thanks, Romy. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by Marsh Hair Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions. 